the parable of the sower is one of the few parables in the Bible for which Jesus also gave an explanation. As we heard in today's gospel, Jesus said that the seed that the sower sows is the word of God. And the different soils on which the seed falls represent different people who either receive God's word or not. It is important to ask ourselves, what kind of soil is my heart? Is my heart stony and hard? Is it cowardly and selfish? Or is my heart honest and good, pure and joyful? Most of the time, it seems that our hearts are all these things at once. We strive for what is good and beautiful and right. But again and again, something else gets the better of us and we have to wrestle with our temptations, bad habits and vices. Thanks be to God that he doesn't abandon us in our struggles, but promises us his grace and forgiveness and helps us grow day by day towards perfection as we entrust ourselves to his good and gracious will. Yet, although the parable of the sower seems so simple and clear, I want to approach it from a different perspective, focusing not on us as the soil in which God sows his word, but on us as those who themselves are called to sow the good seed with Christ. When we open the first book of the Bible, we find a verse almost right at the beginning of it, in which it is said, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. It must be said that the word to dress used in the translation is not quite accurate because the corresponding word in Hebrew Abad means, means to work and to serve, not to dress or to till. However, because this word does not mean simply toil, but to work to achieve something, it also denotes, for example, the work done in dressing or tilling a field. The foreign word for this is to cultivate. It comes from the Latin word colere, which ori originally means to turn over the soil, as is done in plowing. And what is interesting and important to know, in order to truly understand the meaning of some basic concepts, from this Latin word, colere, derive also the terms culture and cult. 
I remind you what we read in the first book of the Bible. God created us human beings to dress, that is, to cultivate and to keep his beautiful creation. I emphasize, we must not simply keep it. Of course, we must not destroy it. But we have to dress it, to cultivate it. God has given us every herb bearing seed, as it says in the creation story at the beginning of the Bible. God has filled his creation with wonderful potential, which, if used correctly, enables us to make our living environment even better and more beautiful than we found it. Of course, the tragic fact is that we often do the opposite. I don't want to focus here on environmental issues, but on those concepts that derive from the Latin word colere, to cultivate, namely culture and cult. Both of these are essential to being human. So it is self-evident that we need them. And it is immeasurably important to understand their true nature and meaning. Not every cult, not every culture is good. We know how many false cults there are that destroy their victims spiritually, morally, and physically. And we know that the large part of the culture that mankind creates is what must be called the culture of death. To be honest, I wouldn't want to talk about the culture of death at all, because we see and hear so much of it around us that it's really depressing. Instead, I want to talk about the culture of life, about the culture that builds us up, that beautifies and elevates our soul, and that teaches us not only to notice the goodness and beauty around us, but to become, with God's help, help a source of beauty and goodness. Khalil Gibran, a Christian poet from Lebanon, who lived about 100 years ago, wrote in his best-known work, The Prophet, among other things, about beauty in the following words. It will be a longer quote now. And the poet said, Speak to us of beauty. And he answered, Where shall you seek beauty, and how shall you find her unless she herself be your way and your guide? And how shall you speak of her except she be the weaver of your speech? The aggrieved and the injured say, Beauty is kind and gentle, like a young mother Half shy on her own glory, she walks among us. And the passionate say, Nay, beauty is a thing of might and dread. Like the tempest, she shakes the earth beneath us 
and the sky above us. The tired and the weary say, Beauties of soft whisperings, she speaks in our spirit. Her voice yields to our silences like a faint light, light that quivers in fear of the shadow. But the restless say, We have heard her shouting among the mountains, and with her cries came the sound of hoofs and the beating of wings and the roaring of lions. At night the watchmen of the city say, Beauty shall rise with the dawn from the east. And at noontide the toilers and the wayfarers say, We have seen her leaning over the earth from the windows of the sunset. In winter, say the snow bound, She shall come with the spring leaping upon the hills. And in the summer heat, the reapers say, we have seen her dancing with the autumn leaves and we saw a drift of snow in her hair. All these things have you said of beauty, yet in truth you spoke not of her, but of needs unsatisfied. And beauty is not a need, but an ecstasy. It is not a mouth thirsting nor an empty hand stretched forth, but rather a heart inflamed and a soul enchanted. It is not the image you would see, nor the song you would hear, but rather an image you see though you close your eyes and the song you hear though you shut your ears. It is not the sap within the furrowed bark, nor a wing attached to a claw, but rather a garden forever in bloom and a flock of angels forever in flight. Beauty is life when life unveils her holy face. You are life and you are the veil. Beauty is eternity gazing at itself in a mirror. You are eternity and you are the mirror. Now I come back to today's parable. What is it that we saw around us? God has created each of us in order to dress and to keep, to cultivate and preserve what has been entrusted to us. Are we building a culture of life or a culture of death? Do we sow goodness and love, beauty and life, or evil and injustice, anguish and death around us? It's not only the question about our culture, but also about our cult, that is, our faith and religion. It is, is it in the service of life or death, good or evil? I really like a sentence of St. Francis Salesius, who lived in the 16th and 17th century, a bishop. I do not want a strange, restless, sad, and sullen piety, but a mild, gentle, pleasant, and peaceful piety. In one word, a free 
and joyful piety that is lovable before God and people. In a sense, we could also call it, especially with St. Paul, holy carelessness. No matter what happens to us, either good or bad, we don't let anything crush us, weaken our faith, take away from us the joyful knowledge that God cares for us, loves us, and has prepared a wonderful home for us in heaven. While living here on earth, we must be witnesses of what awaits us in heaven. We must not only be the ones who sow divine goodness and love around us, but we ourselves must become the seed of God's goodness and love. Not our own, but God's goodness and love. The seed which he himself sows in this perishing world and which the wind of his Holy Ghost scatters so that it would reach as far as possible and more and more people hear and receive the good news of God's love and redemption in Jesus Christ and together with us inherit heavenly joy and happiness. Are you ready and willing to become a seed of God's goodness and love? Undoubtedly, it is true that, first of all, our own hearts must become a good soil on which the seed of God's word will take root, sprout and bear fruit a hundredfold. But we must not get stuck in ourselves because we are called to keep and dress this wonderful creation of God. May God himself help us in his redeeming, cleansing, and sanctifying grace, so that all we do may be in the service of his love and eternal life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.